my question is why can't god not take a human form brother asked a question that why can god not take a human form if god wants he can take a human form but the moment he takes a human form he ceases to be god because god and man they are two opposites man is mortal god is immortal you can't have a mortal and immortal person at the same time man has a beginning god has got no beginning you can't have a person who has a beginning and no beginning at the same time man has an end god has no end so you can't have a person having an end and no end at the same time it doesn't make sense so you can't have a god man you can either have god or you can have man you can't have a god man so if god takes human form he ceases to be god he becomes human being because man requires to eat god does not require to eat the quran says in surah anam chapter 6 verse number 14 that he feedeth everyone but doesn't require to be fed the human beings they require rest they require sleep the quran says in ayatul kursi chapter number 2 verse number 255 which was also recited by the qari brother shaf mamadi allahu la ilaha illallah al-hayyul la ta'khudhu sunnatan wa la nawm law ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard allah he is one and only the self existing the eternal no slumber can seize him not as he requires sleep to him belongs everything in the heaven and the earth therefore god when he takes the human form he ceases to be god you can't have a god man together and if a god becomes human being and gives up his quality and becomes man why should you worship a human being because he has same power than you and me people will want to worship you and me also then what is the use of worshiping a person who has same powers like you and me and later on if someone tells me the same human being became god it's not possible if human beings can become god even you and i would become god tomorrow therefore if allah wants he can become a human being but he ceases to be a god therefore allah will never want to become a human being allah can tell a lie if he wants but he will never tell a lie because to lie is ungodly the moment he lies he ceases to be god allah can do injustice if he wants but he will not because to do injustice is ungodly as the holy quran says in surah nisa chapter 4 verse number 40 that allah subhanahu wa taala is never unjust in the least degree so if he does injustice he ceases to be god allah subhanahu wa taala if he wants he can make a mistake but he will not make a mistake because to make mistake is ungodly the quran says in surah taha chapter number 20 verse 52 that allah does not make mistake allah does an err so if he makes a mistake he ceases to be god allah can forget if he wants but he will not forget because forgetting is an ungodly act the quran says in surah taha chapter 20 verse 52 allah doesn't make a mistake neither does he forget the moment he forgets he ceases to be god therefore the holy quran says inna allaha ala kulli shay'in qadeer 
Verily, Allah has power over all things in several places. In Surah Baqarah chapter 2, verse number 106. In Surah Baqarah chapter number 2, verse number 109. Surah Baqarah chapter 2, verse number 284. Surah Al-Imran chapter number 3, verse 29. Surah Nahal chapter 16, verse 77. In Surah Fatir chapter 35, verse number 1, Allah says, Inna Allaha ala kulli shayin kadir. For verily, Allah has power over all things. But Allah only does godly things. He doesn't do ungodly things. Because Quran says in Surah Buraj, chapter 85, verse number 16, Allah is the doer of all he intends. Whatever Allah intends, he can do. But he only intends godly things. This theory of God becoming a human form is called as anthropomorphism. Almighty, God taking a human form. And most of the major religions, sometime or the other, they have in their philosophy that God has taken a human form. Some religion once, some several times. And they have a very beautiful logic for that. They say that God Almighty, He is so pure, He is so holy, He doesn't know regarding the feelings of the human being, regarding the shortcomings, the difficulties a human being can have. He is so holy and pure. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't know how does a human being feel when he's hurt? How does he feel when he gets into trouble? So therefore, God Almighty came in the form of a human being in this world to set the rules for the human being. On the face of it, very good logic. But I tell these people that if I manufacture a tape recorder, do I have to become a tape recorder to know what is good or what is bad for the tape recorder? No. I just write an instruction manual. When you want to play the audio cassette, put in the cassette, press the play button. When you want to stop, press the stop button. When you want to fast forward, press the FF button. Don't drop it from a height, it will get spoiled. Don't immerse it in water, it will get damaged. I write an instruction manual. I don't have to become a tape recorder to know what is good or what is bad for the tape recorder. Similarly, when Almighty God is our creator, he doesn't have to become a human being to know what is good or what is bad for the human being. He sends an instruction manual. And the last and final instruction manual for the human beings is the Holy Quran. The Holy Quran is the last and final instruction manual for the human beings. The do's and don'ts for the human being. And he need not come down in this world as a human being to give us the instruction manual. What does he do? He chooses a man amongst men to deliver his message whom we call as messengers or prophets, who he communicates on a higher level through the revelation. It is so clear-cut to any logical person that God Almighty cannot take human form. But any fool can also understand. That's the reason the Holy Quran says in Surah Baqarah chapter 2 verse number 18, Summum bukmun umyun formlaer jiyun The deaf, the dumb, the blind, they will not come to the true path. And the Bible gives the same message. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 13, verse number 13, seeing they see not, hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Rig Veda also gives the same message. In book number 10, chapter number 71, verse number 4, that though they see the word, they see it not. Though they hear the word, they hear not. Assalamu alaikum. If all the major religions and scriptures speak about one God, 
then does it imply that all these religious scriptures, that is Bible, Vedas, etc., are the word of God? And does it further imply that whichever religion you follow, be it Islam or Hinduism or Christianity, it is one the same? The sister asked the question that I have quoted so many various scriptures and proved about the concept of Almighty God, that is monotheism. Does it imply that all these religious scriptures I quoted, they are the word of Almighty God? And does it imply that irrespective whether you follow Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, it's one and the same? Sister, many people have the misconception that Islam came into existence and the founder of the religion of Islam was Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, 14 years ago. In fact, Islam is there in existence since time immemorial, since man set foot on the earth. And the Holy Quran says in Surah Fatir, chapter 35, Verse number 24. There is not a nation or a tribe to whom we have not sent a warner. The Holy Quran says in Surah Raj, chapter number 13, verse number 7. And to every nation have we sent a guide. By name, only 25 are mentioned in the Holy Quran. But our Prophet Muhammad, he said, there were more than 124,000 messengers sent on the face of the earth. By name, we know in 25 mentioned the Holy Quran. Adam, Moses, Jesus, Solomon, Muhammad, peace be upon them all. But there were more than 124,000 messengers sent on the face of the earth. Similarly, by name, we know only four revelations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of Almighty God. The Torah, the Zabur, the Injil, and the Furqan. Torah is the Wahi, the revelation which was given to Moses, peace be upon him. Zabur is the Wahi, the revelation which was given to David, peace be upon him. Injil is the Wahi, the revelation which was given to Jesus, peace be upon him. And Furqan, that's the Holy Quran, is the last and final revelation which was given to the last and final messenger, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. But if you analyze that all the other scriptures, whether are they the word of God or not. Bible, can I say it's the word of God or not? We believe in the Injil, the Wahi which was given to Isa alayhi salam. This Bible that the Christians have today, it's not the Wahi which we believe in. This Bible does contain the word of God. It also contains the word of prophet and also words of historian as well as pornography. It's totally not the word of God. No wonder the Christian scholars, they are keeping on revising the Bible. We believe in the original wahi given to Isa salam, but the present Bible is not the correct wahi. It may contain part of the wahi. How to check up which part is true? You have to check it with the Furqan. And the Furqan is the Holy Quran. Similarly, if you analyze all the messengers that were sent before Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, all the revelations that came before Holy Quran, all of these revelations and these messengers were only sent for their people. And the message was supposed to be followed only for a particular limited time period. As the Holy Quran says in Surah Al-Imran chapter 3 verse 49, that Isa salam, he was sent only for the Bani Israel. The message is repeated in Surah Saf chapter 61, verse number 6, that Isa salam, the son of Mary, was sent 
only for the Bani Israel, the children of Israel. The same message is given in the Bible, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 10, verse number 5 to 6, that Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, tells his disciples that go ye not into the way of the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The non-Jews, the Hindus, the Muslims. Go ye not into the way of the Gentiles, but rather go to lost sheep of the house of Israel. That means he was only sent for the house of Israel. Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said, it's mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 15, verse number 24, that I have not been sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So all the messengers and all the revelation, by name only four revelations are given in the Holy Quran. But there were several revelations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like Sufa, Ibrahim and various other revelations. But all the revelations that came before the Holy Quran and all the messengers that came before Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, they were only sent for their people and for a particular time period. But our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, the Holy Quran says, in Surah Al-Anbiya, chapter 21, verse number 107, it says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةَ لِلْعَالَمِينَ That we have sent thee not, but as a mercy to the whole of humankind, as a mercy to all the worlds, as a mercy to all the creatures. The Holy Quran says in Surah Sabah, chapter 34, Verse number 28, that we have sent thee not but as a universal messenger, giving glad tidings and warning them against sin. But most of the humankind yet do not know. Similarly, all the religious scriptures that were sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that came before the Quran were only meant for that people and for a particular time period. But the Holy Quran, it says in Surah Ibrahim, chapter 14, verse 52, as well as Surah Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 185, and Surah Al-Zumur, chapter 39, verse number 41, that it was sent for the whole of humanity. Regarding a question, that are these scriptures, the Vedas, the Bible, the Zedavesta, the Satir, the Upanishad, are they the word of Almighty God? What I can say, that we believe in Injil as the word of God. But the present Bible is not the word of God. Regarding Veda, Upanishad, Gita, Zedavesta, Dasati, I can say maybe they were the word of God. Maybe. I cannot say for sure. Since the Quran does not say that Veda is the word of God, I cannot say for sure. I can only say maybe they were the word of God. But even if they were the word of God, all the scriptures besides the Holy Quran have been changed by human beings. They have been corrupted. As a famous critic, of Islam, William Muir, he said two centuries before that the only religious scriptures which has maintained its purity is the Holy Quran for 12 centuries. William Muir, who is a very strong critic of Islam, he had to agree that this Quran has maintained its original purity for 12 centuries. He said this 200 years before. So, regarding the messengers, whether Ram, whether Lakshman, all these, were they messengers of God or not? Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, he was, because the Quran says. But the name of Ram and Buddha and Zoroaster is not mentioned in the Quran. So what I can say, maybe they were, I don't know. But even if they were, they were only meant for that time. And they were only supposed to be followed by that particular people. The scriptures that came before the Quran, they were only meant for a particular group of people and they were only meant to be followed till that time. 
So even if they were words of God, even if the previous messengers were messengers of God, you only have to follow the last and final messenger, that is Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Even if the other scriptures were the word of God, today you have to follow the last and final message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is the Holy Quran and nothing else. Regarding, can you be a Christian, Hindu, Muslim, it's the same? No sister, it's not the same. Why? Because if you analyze, the Holy Quran says, in Surah Al-Imran chapter 3, verse number 52, that Jesus, peace be upon him, he was a Muslim. Same thing as the Bible says in Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse number 30. I seek not my will, but the will of my father. If you translate into Arabic, not my will, God's will, it is nothing but Islam. He was a Muslim. Abraham, peace be upon him, the Holy Quran says, in Surah Al-Imran, chapter 3, verse 67, he was not a Jew or a Christian, he was a Muslim. So today, if you have to choose any religion, the Holy Quran says in Surah Al-Imran, chapter 3, verse number 19, in the Islam, the only religion acceptable in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Islam. Though the other religions speak about monotheism, only monotheism is not sufficient. You have to believe in Tawheed. You have to do the ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why the Holy Quran repeats the message in Surah Al-Imran. Chapter 3, verse number 85. That if anyone desires any other religion besides Islam, submitting the will to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it will not be accepted of him. And in the hereafter, he'll be among the losers. Hope that answers the question. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Azam Khan, and a mechanical engineer by profession. First, I congrats you for the beautiful speech you had delivered. Now, my question is, water is called by different names in different languages, like in English as water, in Hindi as Pani, in Tamil as Tani. Similarly, if God is either called Ram or Jesus, is it not one and the same? So that was the question, that water in different languages can be called as water in English, Pani in Hindi, Tani in Tamil. Similarly, God is one. Can we not call him by Ram or Jesus, etc.? Peace be upon him. As I mentioned in my talk, the Holy Quran says in Surah Isra, chapter 17, verse number 110, Holidullah Avidur Rahman, Tadu, Husna. Say, call upon him by Allah or by Rahman. By whichever name you call upon him, to him belongs the most beautiful name. You can call Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by any name, but it should be a beautiful name and it should not conjure up a mental picture. It should contain the qualities of Almighty God. And the same message is repeated in Surah Taha, chapter number 20, verse number 8. In Surah Araf, chapter number 7, verse number 180. As well as in Surah Al-Hashar, chapter 59, verse number 24, which says, to Allah belongs the most beautiful name. You can call him by any name, but it should not conjure up a mental picture. Regarding a question that water... It's called by different names in different languages, and I know about it. In English, it's called as water. In Hindi, as Pani. In Tamil, as Tani. In Arabic, it's called as Ma. In Surah Alambia, chapter 21, verse number 30. In Sanskrit, it's called as Apa. In Bhagavad Gita, chapter number 7, verse number 4. In Shuddha Hindi, it's called as Jal. In Gujarati, as Jal or Pani. In Marathi, as Pani. It's called as in Kannad. It's called as Nir. 
in Telugu, Nirp and Malayalam as well. Various languages. You can call. I gave you only 10 examples. Quran gives 99 attributes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But there's no objection if you call water in any language as long as it is water in any language. But it should be water. It should not be something else. For example, if suppose someone comes and tells me that I have been advised by my friend that every day in the morning I should have one glass of pani. I know pani means water, so I understand what he's saying. But then he continues, but when I have that one glass of pani, I feel like vomiting. I ask him, why do you feel like vomiting? So he tells me, because the water stinks. It is yellowish in color. Later I realize that what he's talking is not pani, it is urine. <laughs> so somebody told him that you have one glass of urine, but the name he gave was pani. So you can call water by pani, tani, mani, apa, pani, no problem. But it should be water. You can call water by any name. But anything else besides water, neither can you call it water, neither can you call it pani, neither can you call it tani, neither can you call it as mine. Water as water you can call, but something else as water you can't call. People may think that what? An illogical example. Even an ignorant person can make out the difference between urine and water. Only a fool will not know the difference between urine and water. And I agree with them. That even an ignorant person knows the difference between urine and water. Similarly, those people who know the concept of Almighty God, the correct concept, they say that these people who worship false God, they are not only ignorant, they are foolish. Can't they differentiate between a true God and a false God? You give it any name. But if it's a true God, you can give it the name of God. If it's not a true God, you're giving false God the name of God. Aren't they foolish? They are foolish. For example, if you want to buy some gold, there's a person who comes and wants to sell his gold jewelry to you. And he says, this is 24 karat sona. You know that sona in Hindi means gold. In Arabic, it is zahaba. You know it very well. But even after knowing that sona in Hindi is for gold, yet you will not just buy it like that. You will verify whether the sona, what is calling 24 karat sona, is it actually 24 karat gold or not. You will not just buy it off. What will you do? You will go to a goldsmith and verify whether it is actually 24 karat sona or not. And after verifying with the touchstone, you know I gave the example of touchstone in my talk, he tells you it is fake. Though the jewelry was glittering, but all that glitter is not gold. You will verify before buying the sona, whether it's actually sona or not. Why? Because you have to pay money for it. You know, you don't want to lose. Because you know, if you lose a thousand rupees or ten thousand rupees, it's precious. So why don't you do the same when anyone says this is God? You check it up with the touchstone. Which is the touchstone? Surah Ikhlas. Chapter number 112, verse number 1 to 4, which says, Qul Allahu ahad. Say he is Allah one and only. Allah samad. Allah the absolute eternal. Lam milit balam yulad. He begets not nor is begotten. Walam There is nothing like him. So anyone says this is God, you first check it up with the touchstone whether actually is God or not. If he fits in that definition, we have got no objection excepting 
that person who they are calling as Almighty God. For example, suppose some lunatic. He says that Muhammad, peace be upon him, he is Almighty God, a lunatic, if he says that. We know we Muslims, we love our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. We love him. We will do anything for him. We obey him. Even the non-Muslims. Michael H. Hart, when he wrote a book on 100 most influential people in the world, number one he gave to the last and final messenger, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Yet, yet, in spite of that, we will use the touchstone, Surah class. Though we respect a maximum amongst all the human beings, yet we'll check with the touchstone, Surah class. Kul ho Allahu ahad. Says Allah one and only. Says Muhammad one and only. May peace be upon him. Allah has sent several messengers. He's not the only messenger. We agree he's the last and final. But Quran says you have to believe in all the messengers. Do not differentiate in the belief of the messengers. Second is Allah Samad. Allah the absolute eternal. We know that our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he was a great human being, but he was not absolute eternal. He toiled, he worked hard. His biography tells us that he was even stoned many times. He prayed to Almighty God. He was not absolute eternal. Third test is Lambinil Valamulat. He begets not nor is he begotten. We know that he was born in Mecca. He had a father and mother by the name of Abdullah and Amina. He had parents. He had children also. Fatima, may Allah be pleased with her. Ibrahim, may Allah be pleased with him. He had. He was begotten and he also begets. So he is not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for sure. Though we Muslim, we love our Prophet. We respect our Prophet. No Muslim in his true senses will ever say that Prophet Muhammad is Almighty God. Never. You know why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has seen to it that the Islamic creed, the Shahada, says, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. There's no God but Allah, and Prophet Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. We say this five times a day minimum. In the Adhan, in the Yaqama, before Salah, we always say, there is no God but Allah, and Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is the messenger of Allah. He is the servant of Allah. To see to it that no one, however much he may love, he may not equate him to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whoever you are saying is Almighty God, you use the touchstone. Whether it be Jesus, whether it be Ram, whether it be Krishna, whether it be Buddha, whether it be Mahavir, use the touchstone. I have given you the touchstone. On the day of judgment, I can give shahada to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the thousands of people that were present here, I showed them how to use the touchstone. Now the God that you worship, the God that you worship, you apply this formula of touchstone to that God. If it passes, the touchstone, even I agree, he's almighty God. If it doesn't pass, then you cannot call him God at all. Hope that answers the question. My name is M.D. Marathe. I am a technologist. Before I start, I'd just like to explain that I would like to take the audience from the sentimental plane to a more scientific and rational plane. I hope I have your permission to. Today's school books present the following information. In the course of evolution, the animal man or Homo erectus evolved 2 million years ago with a brain size of 1000 cc against a size of 400 cc of the apes. Evolution continued with the brain growing to 1400 cc 200,000 years ago. And this animal was known as Homo sapien. 
The present form of man was evolved about 35,000 years ago and is known as Homo sapiens sapiens. Anthropologists have estimated that man developed a speech center in his brain 50,000 years ago. Now the question is, in this record of development, when did God originate and for what purpose? Number two, the progress of science has made it possible uh, to... Only one question, sir. You, any no, no, question this you is in relation to that. If you cut it short... No, no, it's, it's, the answer will not be long. Give me the time for the questions, please. Yeah, yeah, okay. Did progress God of science has made it possible to clone all animals, including man, to produce any number of animals having all desired characteristics. If God ever existed, how much of the power attributed to God is now left with him? Third one, God is described as a sea of kindness, finished, and mercy. Yet all leaders of all religions, when faced with the prospect of death, rush to a hospital like the one next door and never to the place of worship where they preached all their life that man lives and dies by the wish of God. Is there an explanation for this phenomenon? The brother has asked basically three questions. First, he gave, according to him, the theory of evolution of man and said, where does God fit in? Secondly, after as God has created all this thing, how much of his power has been reduced? Thirdly, that when you get sick, you run to the hospital, not to the temple or church or masjid. Three part of the question. He said the answer will be short. The question was long. So imagine, to give a detailed answer will take time. Brother, I'd like to tell you that what you quoted about the hemosapiens, etc. You are talking about the theory of evolution, brother. Theory of evolution. I'm a medical doctor. I've not come across a single book in my life which says fact of evolution. It is theory of evolution. And even I know about the theory of evolution and about the Darwin's theory. Complete answer referred to my video cassette, Quran and Modern Science Conflict of Conciliation. What Darwin said was only a theory. He wrote a letter to his friend Thomas Thompson in 1881 that I believe in this theory of natural selection because I don't have any proof. Only because it helps me in natural selection, it helps me in embryology, in classification, in rudimentary organs. There's no book saying the fact of evolution. All the books say theory of evolution. That's why if we have to say to a friend that if you are present at Darwin's time, Darwin's theory have been proved right, trying to insinuate you look like an ape. There were missing links. Darwin himself said the missing links. You spoke about the hormones. You only spoke about one wave. I'll tell you about all the four waves. The first wave was Lucy. Lucy. Lucy was first wave which came three and a half million years. You talk about two million years. I'm telling you what scientists have said three million years ago. Lucy. It died out by the ice age. The second came the Homo erectus. Homo erectus. About 500,000 years. After that came the Neanderthal man. The third wave, about 40,000 years ago. And the last was the Cro-Magnon. But brother, there's no link between all these stages. It's only a hypothesis. According to P.P. Grasse, according to P.P. Grasse, who held the chair of evolutionary studies in Paris, in Shoujan University, in 1971, he said, it is letting our imagination run too wild, just based on vestiges to say who our ancestors were. I do know there are some people who speak about Darwin's theory. I'm a medical doctor, I know about that. But do you know there are hundreds of scientists who speak against it? <laughs> Few scientists speak in favor, but there are more who speak against it. 
For the complete answer, refer to my video called Quran Modern Science. There are few scientists because there's no fact of evolution. They say let's support a theory. Quran doesn't support any theory or hypothesis. Quran speaks about fact. So regarding your two million years, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, no beginning. When man came, no one knows the exact date. No one knows. Assumption, assumption, assumption is there. But Quran says the first man was Adam alayhi salam, first man, and with it came Eve. May Allah be pleased with her. Man hasn't reached that stage. There is not a single statement in the Holy Quran which science has proved wrong yet. Hypotheses go against the Quran. Theories go against the Quran. There is not a single scientific fact which is mentioned in the Holy Quran which goes against established science. It may go against theory. So, brother, your thing is only supported by few people, not by the majority. Regarding second part of the question, that if Allah has created all these things, how less His power has become? You can't understand it completely. As the Quran says in Surah An-Nam, chapter six, verse one hundred and three, is beyond comprehension. I can give you a simile, not exactly same. An ocean. If you take a drop out of the ocean, how much does the level of the ocean go down? How much? How much? Yeah. Yet, yet, in spite of this, the difference between Allah becoming less when He creates things. And the difference between the level of the ocean becoming less is infinite. The level of the ocean may become point zero 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 somewhere, point zero zero somewhere it will end. But Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, not even, and not even a bit becomes less. He is all powerful. That's Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. If such a God who becomes less, we don't worship such God who becomes less. Keeps on creating evil. Sometimes lose his power. So this God is eternal, absolute. As I said in my talk, He is absolute and eternal. Everything depends on Him. He doesn't depend on anything. Where did Allah come? Allah was before the universe created. Where does He fit in? Where did He get created? He is uncreated. You ask me the question: Where did He come into existence? He is uncreated. It's like you asking me that when I tell. That my friend, he told me that my brother Tom, he gave birth to a child. Is the child girl or a boy? I, being a doctor, know very well a man cannot give birth to a child. So where does the question come whether it's girl or a boy? So you are asking me when did Allah come fit in the picture? Allah is uncreated. Because he's uncreated, the question doesn't arise. When did he come? He's there. Question doesn't arise. Regarding a third part of the question, that when people get sick. They run to the hospital. They don't run to the temple. They don't run to the mosque. Not to the church. So, brother, may not be knowing all the people. I am a doctor. I know that when the doctors give up, the thing we doctors say. <laughs> we doctors say, "Who is Shafi? It is he who cures." That doesn't mean the person gets sick only go to the temple. Because the Quran says in Surah Nahl chapter 16 verse 43, as well as in Surah Furqan chapter 25 verse 59, if you are in doubt, go to a person who knows, who is an expert. If you get sick, besides praying to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, go to a person who is an expert in medicine. Go to a doctor. Quran says that. 
But even after going to the doctor, have faith in Allah. Because he is the person who cures you. He can cure you with a doctor or without a doctor. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we don't believe in blind belief. No Muslim scholar will ever say, if you are sick, don't go to a doctor. So go to a doctor, but finally, your cures is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why all the doctors, when all their brain, all their science, all the medicine fails, they say, it is only Allah who can save you. Assalamu alaikum, brother. I'm Dr. Kamarara, and my question is, Christians explain the concept of Trinity as well as that God can take human form by giving the example that water can be present in three states, as solid like ice, liquid as water, and gas as vapor. Yet it is one and the same water. Similarly, a person can also be a father, a brother, a businessman at the same time, but yet he's the one and the same person. So why not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? So sister has a question. Regarding Trinity, if the Christians have the concept of Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The previous question was, I proved it, that from the Bible, Jesus, peace be upon him, never believed in Trinity. Now she gave an example. She's giving a human logic, asking a question, that if water can be present in three states, as solid, liquid, and gas, as ice, water, and vapor, when water can be in three states, why can't God be? Similarly, the Christian missionaries pose the question, even God Almighty can be present in three forms, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, if you analyze, I do agree matter can be in three states, solid, liquid, and gas. But you should realize that if water is present in three states, solid, liquid, gas, as ice, water, and vapor, in all the three states, the constituent, the component of water is the same, H2O. Even if it's ice, the constituent and component is H2O. Even when it is water, it is H2O. Even when it is vapor, it is H2O. Even when it's ice, even when it is gas or liquid, it is H2O. That's very important. Now let's analyze the example they gave of Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In three forms, if you say, for sake of argument, I agree. But are the constituent of all these three things, Father, Son, that Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, and Holy Ghost the same? We know very well that human beings have got flesh and bone. A spirit and God Almighty has got no flesh and bone. Human beings require to eat. God Almighty does not require to eat. And the same message Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, gave. It's mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 24, verse number 39 to 43, that, Behold my hands and feet. It's I myself, handle me and see. That a spirit has got no flesh and bone, as you see me have. And he gave his hands and feet. And they were overjoyed. To prove what? That he was not a spirit. He was not God Almighty. And the verse continues, Do you have meat to eat? And the next verse says that he ate broiled fish and honeycomb. To prove what? That he was God. To prove that he was not God. Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said, a spirit has no flesh and bone as I have. Proving that he was not a spirit, he was not almighty God. Regarding the second example, 
just to give the example, that a person can be a father, a brother, and a businessman at the same time. So why can't God be father, son, and Holy Ghost? It's a very good example. And I do agree that one person can be a father, can be a brother, and can be a businessman at the same time. Many people out here also may be father, brother, and businessman at the same time. But if suppose the sister of that man tells a secret to the brother, but natural, even the father and businessman will know that secret because one and the same person. If a sister tells a secret to the brother, who is a father and a businessman at the same time, when the secret is told to the brother, even the father part of that man and businessman part of that man will know that secret. But when you read in the Bible, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 13, verse number 32, it says, Of that day, of that hour, knoweth no man, no, not even the angels in the heaven, nor the son of man, but the father. The knowledge of the hour, of that day, no one knows Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said, except the father, not even the angels, not even himself. If father, that God Almighty, and Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, one and the same, and if knowledge of our is known to God Almighty, even Jesus should know about it, peace be upon him. So this proves that they were not one. <laughs> further, further, if the brother dies, even the man and the businessman will die. If the brother dies, even man and businessman will die. So when Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, according to the Bible, according to the Christian, he died on the cross. Do you mean to say even God Almighty and the Holy Ghost died? Assalamu alaikum. I am Riyaz Vadkaunkar and a businessman. So my question is, Allah is the most appropriate name for God. So besides Quran, is it mentioned in any other religious scriptures? Do I pose the question that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has explained my talk? Is an appropriate name for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Almighty God? Is this name Allah mentioned anywhere else in the other religious scriptures? If you analyze, most of the religious scriptures which have the concept of Almighty God, somewhere or the other, most probably, one of the attributes of God Almighty is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, if you read the Bible, in the Hebrew language, they call God Almighty as Elohim. Him is a sign of respect in the Semitic languages. So actually it is Elo, Elo for God. And if you read the Bible, Old Testament also, it says for God, Elo or Ella. And in the English Bible, revised by Reverend Scofield, he gives the spelling of Ella as alternatively either as E-L or E-L-A-H or A-L-A-H. The pronounced as Ella. El, Ella or Ella. A-L-A-H. We Muslims, when we write in English Allah, we write A-L-L-A-H. But Reverend Scofield wrote A-L-A-H. They pronounce Allah, we pronounce Allah. When I was in school, I was taught Tio Tu, Dio Tu, Gio, Gio is what? Not go, it is go. I was taught beauty but, beauty cut, nut, beauty, not but, but. I said, what sort of a language is this? He said, no, you have to say beauty but, not but. And if I have to pass the examination, even I say beauty, but. Geo is not go, it is go. I have to, because it's their language. Similarly, we know how to pronounce correctly Allah. They say Allah, 
is a no problem. The right pronunciation is Allah. Later on, when Reverend Scofield realized what he had done, that he's come included to the Quran, maybe people took objection. In the revived edition, that thing is taken out. ALH is taken out. So now when you get the Scofield English Bible, only EL and ELH is there. ALH is not there. But in spite of that, yet, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in every Bible, yet, the name of Allah is there. Because, according to the Bible, when Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, allegedly he was crucified, it's mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 27, verse number 46, as well as in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 15, verse number 34, when he was put on the cross, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. So as to say, O oh God, O oh God, why hast thou forsaken me? If you analyze and ask them that what is Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? It's a Hebrew quotation. But it has been maintained. Even in the English Bible, it has been maintained. And then they translate. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. O oh God, O oh God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some people say the name of God is Jehovah. So I asked them, does Eli, Eli, Lama Sabakhtani sound like Joha, Joha, why has thou forsaken me? They say no. Does it sound like Jesus, Jesus, peace be upon him, why has thou forsaken me? They say no. Hebrew and Arabic language are sister languages. If you translate Eli, Eli, Lama Sabakhtani into Arabic, it is Allah, Allah, Lama Taraktani. Does it sound similar? Yes. Why? Sister language. And the best part of it is that the Bible has been translated into more than 2,000 different languages. And in every language, this quotation is verbatim the same. Allah, Allah, Lama Sabakhtani. Whether it's a Tamil Bible, Chinese Bible, Hebrew Bible, any Bible, this Hebrew quotation has been maintained and the word Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there in each and every translation of the Bible. This word Allah, like Guru Nanak, one of the attributes he gave to God is Rahim. Also, he gave Allah. If you read the Hindu scriptures, Upanishads, one of the Upanishads is called as the Allah Upanishad. And God Almighty has called by Allah several times. Even in Rigved, even if you read the Rigved, the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of the attributes, is given in book number two, hymn number one, verse number 11, the name, one of the attributes of God Almighty is Allah. They write it as I-L-A. But when you pronounce it, we have to tell them, pronounce it as Allah. Hope they answer the question. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Haji Muhammad. Brother Zakir, Brother Zakir, you mentioned in your talk that Jesus never claimed divinity. But it is mentioned in the Bible that Jesus said, I and my father are one. Does this not imply that he claimed divinity? Brother, that was a question that I said in my talk that nowhere does the Bible say that Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, claimed divinity. And he gave a quotation of the Bible that Jesus said, I and my father are one. What the brother is quoting is a verse from the Bible in the Gospel of John, chapter number 10, verse number 30, which does say, I and my father are one. But when you ask the Christian missionaries that what is the context? I have not yet met a Christian missionary who can tell you the context without opening the Bible. He knows I and my father are one, but he doesn't know the context. For example, if I quote to someone, that the Quran says, do not pray. 
most of the Muslims will be shocked. What I am talking? And if you open it up, they do not pray. But it's half the verse. Surah Nisa, chapter 4, verse 43 says, Do not pray with your mind before. Do not pray when you are intoxicated. So if you only quote, do not pray, it will mean Quran says, don't pray. Have the quotation. So for context, I and my father Avan, you have to go to Gospel of John, chapter number 10, verse number 23, and I'm quoting from my memory, that Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch, verse number 24. It says, and the Jews came around him and asked him, how long dost thou make us doubt? If thou art the Christ, tell us plainly. Verse number 25 says, I told you, but you believe me not. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. Verse number 26 says, that you believe not, because you are not my sheep, as I said unto you. The Jews, they were asking Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, that why don't you speak plainly? So he tells them that, yes, I am the Messiah. I have told you clearly, but because you are not my sheep, you don't believe in me. Verse number 27 continues. Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, continues saying that my sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, that I give them eternal life, no man can pluck them out of my hand, and they shall not perish. Verse number 29 says, My Father who give it to me, He is greater than all. No man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. Then verse number 30 says, I and my Father are one. Any person who has little bit sense can make out, I and my Father are one, doesn't mean one as one person. It means one in purpose. Verse number 28 says, No man can pluck them out of my hand. Jesus Christ, peace be upon his saying, No man can pluck them out of my hand. Verse 29 is saying, No man can pluck them out of my father's hand. Verse number 30 says, I and my father are one. In purpose. Both Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, and Almighty God, they are one in purpose. If I say that my father is a doctor, and he is a doctor, Alhamdulillah, even I am a doctor. If I say, I and my father are one, what does it mean? It means one in purpose. As medical profession, my father is a doctor, even I am a doctor. It doesn't mean that I and my father are one. It means my father is a medical doctor, even I am a medical doctor. But Christians say, no, no, it means one, actual unity. So we say, okay, you say actual unity, let's read further. If you go ahead in the Gospel of John, chapter number 17, verse number 21, it says, that Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said that ye all of them are one. My Father in me and I in thee, we all are one. Does it mean that God Almighty is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is in all his 12 disciples? So there will be 14 gods. Jesus Christ, God Almighty and 12 disciples. The same one is used there and here. If you go to the source, the same word is used. If you go to the Greek, same word is used. So does it mean you'll have 14 gods? And among those disciples, Judas was a traitor. Even he's God. Thomas doubted Jesus Christ, peace be upon him. Is he God? Peter, Jesus Christ says, he's satanic. Is he also God? No. All of them, God Almighty, Jesus Christ and the Apostle, are one in purpose. They are same. Again, if you go two verses ahead, Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 23 says, that I am in thee and you and me. He tells the disciples. Does it make all of them God? No. It means one in purpose. But then Christian will say, okay, I have quoted the first part. Why don't you quote after that? After verse number 30, Gospel of John chapter 10. Let's go ahead. 
Gospel of John, chapter number 10, verse number 31 says, and Jews picked up stones again to stone at Jesus' peace be upon him. Verse number 32 says, and Jesus' peace be upon him asked them, for which of the good works of my father do you stone me? Verse 33 says, that we don't stone you for any good work, but because you blaspheme, being a man, call yourself God, that's why we stone you. What about him? I'm reading from my memory. Any person wants to check up, can check up. It's there in the Bible. Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 23 onwards, I'm quoting. So Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, gives the answer. The Jews say that, see, he's trying to blaspheme, calling himself God. Good riddance, they want to kill him. Good riddance. The Christians say, oh, the Jews called him God Almighty. See, they understood him correctly for redemption. One wants, for redemption, they're calling him God. The other group of people for good riddance. But the answer is given in the next verse. Verse number 34 of Gospel of John chapter 10 says that is it not mentioned in your scriptures that ye are gods and if the person to whom the word of God came, if he says God, the scripture is not broken. If you check up in the Bible, in the Psalm chapter number 82, verse number 6 does say that ye are gods. So Jesus Christ gave the answer that the person to whom the word of God came, if you call him God, it is not blaspheme. It is meaning that they are one in purpose. Hope that answers the question. Assalamu alaikum. This is uh, Yasin. I am a software engineer by profession. My question is the Hindu pundits and scholars agree that the Vedas and other Hindu religious scriptures prohibit idol worship. But initially, because the mind may not be matured, therefore an idol is required for concentration while worshipping. After the mind reaches higher consciousness, the idol is not required for concentration. What do you have to say about this? The brother has a question that the Hindu pundits and scholars, they agree that the Vedas is against idol worship, against making image of Almighty God. But they give the logic that initially because the mind is not matured, you require idol to concentrate. Later on, when you reach higher consciousness, idol is not required. If this is the logic, I would like to say that we Muslims have already reached the higher consciousness. You don't require... You don't require any idols to concentrate on Almighty God. We have already reached the higher consciousness, if this is the logic. But now let's analyze. Once I was having a discussion with a Swami from the ISKCON, Hare Ram Hare Krishna, you know, it's there in Bombay. Hare Ram Hare Krishna. He came to IRF and we were having a discussion on idol worship. So he gave me the example that Brother Zakir, see, when your son asks you, why does it thunder? So you tell him that, Ai ma chakki pisti hai. Ai ma chakki pisti hai. That is the grandmother in heaven, she is grinding flour. Why? Because the child is innocent, can't understand. Therefore we give this. Similarly, human beings, because they are immature, initially idol is allowed. Later on when they get matured, idol is not allowed. So I tell them, and I told this Swami from his con, Hare Rama Hare Krishna, that I will never tell my child when he asks me why does it thunder that I macha keep his Grandmother is grinding flower. You know why? Because to tell a lie is haram. It's wrong to tell a lie in Islam. You cannot tell, even if it's a white lie, you can't say. In extreme cases, certain cases, someone puts a gun and you lie, that's the difference. Otherwise, normal circumstances, why should a person lie? Because if I tell my son that I macha keep his Grandmother is grinding flour in heaven. When he goes to school and when the teacher teaches him that the thundering after lightning is due to 
expansion of rapidly heated air, he will think the teacher is lying. And afterwards, when he comes to know the fact, he will say, my father was a liar. <laughs> so this is the problem, that why should you say such wrong things? And this philosophy is common amongst all the human beings. Common, most of them, if not all. And you know, we have like those people who stay in a building, like when they play with the children, you know, they throw the toy out. Kru has taken it, you know. You do the action of throwing the toy out of the building, then you find even your child is throwing out toys. <laughs> and then when you ask these parents, why is your child throwing out toys? Everyone does, everyone does, children pick The mother will tell, all the children throw out toys. So if my child throws, what is great? All the children don't throw. It is because most of the parents do this trick. So even he wants to do that trick, even he throws it out. My son, Alhamdulillah, we are staying in nine story. Nine story in Masgon. My son has never thrown any toys. You know why? I have never played the trick with him. So you teach wrong things and your child remains following wrong things. Best is to give the answer. Simplify. Simplify and give the answer. To the best of the understanding. I know the child, many things don't understand. Give the answer in a simple way. But if you don't know the answer, you should have the guts to tell the truth, I don't know. But most of the children, especially nowadays, they won't take the simple answer. If I tell my son I don't know, he will tell me, Abba, why don't you know? <laughs> so what happens when we have to do our homework? We have to go and find the answer. It educates us as well as our children. But never tell a lie. You can never let your child grow up on falsehood. There are other pundits, when I have discussions, they give me the example. Let's see Brother Zakir. We do know that Vedas are against idol worship and it's wrong to do idol worship. But initially in standard one, because the mind is not matured, idol worship is fine. But when they graduate, then idol worship is not required. So I tell them that if a person goes to school in standard one, the fundamentals, the basics of any subject should be strong. If the basics and fundamentals are strong, in future, even the structure will be strong. If the basics are not strong, the structure will not be strong. So if a teacher teaches in standard one, in mathematics, two plus two is equal to four. Even after he goes to standard three, four, five, when he passes school, when he becomes a graduate, even if he does PhD in mathematics yet, two plus two will always remain four. He may learn trigonometry, algebra, logarithms, but the basics of arithmetic addition, 2 plus 2, will remain the same. If the teacher teaches wrong things, 2 plus 2 is 5, or 2 plus 2 is equal to 6, in standard 1, what will happen to the student when he graduates? Therefore, the basics should always be strong. The fundamentals should always be strong. And these scholars, they know very well, the fundamentals of the Vedas are regarding concept of God, that God has got no image. You cannot make any idol of God. That's the fundamental. I ask these people that if you know that the followers of a religion are doing wrong things, it's your duty to correct them. If your son says 2 plus 2 is equal to 5, will you keep quiet? In standard 1, you say, no, no, let him graduate, then I'll tell him that 2 plus 2 is equal to 4. Will you say that? You'll correct him initially. You won't wait till he graduates. As much as you can explain, you explain. So if they know the Vedas are against idol worship, 
It's their job to tell the people that this is the fundamental of faith. Even in the initial stages, you can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without an idol. Hope that answers the question. The question is, when all believe in one God, why people fight in the name of God and in the name of religion? The person asked the question that if all the people, all the human beings, or most of them, believe in one God, believe in one type of religion, why do they fight? Why is there so much of infighting, riots, etc.? No religion, which I know of, tell that people should fight with each other unnecessarily. No religion says that. Neither the Quran, neither the Veda, neither the Bible, unnecessarily should not. And the Holy Quran says in Surah Maida, chapter number 5, verse number 32, if anyone kills any human being, unless it be for murder or creating mischief in the land, it is as though you have killed the whole of humanity. Quran does not say if you kill a Muslim, you have killed the whole of humanity. If you kill any human being, unless it be for murder or creating mischief in the land, it is as though you have killed the whole of humanity. So no religion teaches that people should fight with each other unnecessarily. Suppose people are trying to oppress you. Then most of the religion says that you should put that oppressor back in its place. Quran says that, Surah Anfal, Surah Toba, that if the people try to drive you out of your house, out of your faith, out of your land, then you can fight them for self-defense. Even the Gita, the whole Bhagavad Gita, it is known as the nectar of the Vedas. Lord Krishna, he is giving advice to Arjun. That see, you fight for the truth. Even if the opposite people are relatives, don't stop. If they are in the wrong, you fight. The Quran says in Surah Isra, chapter 17, verse 81, that when truth is hurled against falsehood, falsehood perishes. For falsehood is by its nature bound to perish. The Quran is a healing and mercy for those who believe. It was revealed in stages. But for those who are unbelievers, it's nothing but loss after loss. So basically, no religion tells you to fight. Unless in self-defense. Even the police kills the robber in self-defense. Kills the criminal. But normally, under normal circumstances, people should not fight. But yet I do know that people fight. Why is the big question. You know what the reason? The reason is people fight for power. For material things. The politician, he wants vote. What does he do? He instigates a riot. A riot. And then you get marginalized. And then Hindus vote Hindu, Muslim vote Muslim. Politicians. If a builder wants a land, you can't acquire the land because there are a thousand huts there. What does he do? He instigates a riot on the base of religion. The huts are burned down and then he builds a big building on that land for money. So these people, for power, for money, for material requirements, these people, they instigate the riots. Otherwise, the common Hindu, the common Muslim, Alhamdulillah, we love each other. We love our non-Muslim brother. Bombay, if you know Bombay, even during partition, there was not such a right as we had a couple of years ago. Engineered by whom? Politicians. Politicians engineered it. All because for power, for material desire. Otherwise, no religion says that you should fight with one another. We do know. We have similarities. We agree with that. We have differences also. But a politician, on front of everyone, you say, Ram bhi khuda, Allah bhi khuda. Front of it. 
and behind you goes an engineer's rats. See, we don't believe in pseudo-secularism. If suppose two people are there, one person is saying 2 plus 2 is equal to 4, the other person is saying 2 plus 2 is equal to 5. That does not mean, oh, it's a good man, 2 plus 2 is also equal to 4, 2 plus 2 is also equal to 5. Ah, I am a very Dejbhakt, secular person. What secular? Hypocrisy. I should have the guts to say, see, what you are saying 2 plus 2 is equal to 4 is right, what you are saying 2 plus 2 is 5 is wrong, but I will not fight with you. I will tell you the truth, I will not fight with you. Same the Quran says in Surah Kafirun, chapter 109, verse number 1 to 6. Say to those who reject faith, I will not worship what you worship, nor will you worship what I worship. I will not be worshipping that which you want me to worship, nor will you worship what I worship. To you is your way, to me is mine. To you is your religion, to me is mine. I will present the truth to him. Why? Don't do idol worship. Don't have wrong concept of God. Yet if you have, lakum dinukum waliyadin. To use your way to me is mine. The Holy Quran says in Surah Baqarah chapter 2 verse number 256, like there is no compulsion in religion. Truth stands out clear from error. If you hold the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will take you from darkness to light. If you hold the hand of the evil one, the devil, He will take you from light to darkness. The choice is yours. But no religion says that you should fight with each other unnecessarily. Hope the answer My name is Sushil Karangutkar, official photographer, All India Radio, Vivid Bharati Service and Bombay Doordarshan Kendra. I have visited holy country of uh, Islam, that is Saudi Arabia, three times and spent nearly four years uh, in Saudi Arabia and watched Islam from closer distance. Now, Dr. Jakinak, my question is, there is a Muslim blind person. His one eye is replaced by eye donated by a Hindu person. His kidney one kidney is replaced by a kidney donated by a Christian person and his heart is replaced by a heart donated by a Parsi gentleman. Such a Muslim person will be allowed to perform prayers in the mosque. The brother asked the question that he has been to Saudi Arabia and one person is eyes from a Hindu or heart from a Christian and kidney from so and so, various things. So having eye from another religion, heart from another religion, can you offer salah in the mosque? The answer is, brother, according to Islam, every human being is born as a Muslim. Every heart is a Muslim. Every kidney is a Muslim. Every eye is a Muslim. What is the meaning of Muslim? Muslim is a person who submits their will to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every heart submits their will to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm talking about the organic heart. Organic heart, no? Organic heart, it pumps blood. The heart of the Christian pumps blood. The heart of a Muslim pumps blood. The heart of a Hindu pumps blood. The heart is a Muslim. Talking about the organic heart. I, the organic I, is a Muslim. But you see wrong things. I'm sorry, I'm not telling you. You miss things. The human being sees wrong things. The human being is to blame. But the eye sees. The eye is following the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The kidney is doing its job. It's purifying. It's a Muslim. So whether heart taken from a person who's born in a Hindu family or Christian family, every heart is a Muslim, every eye is a Muslim, every kidney is a Muslim, he will be very well allowed to play in a mosque. But even if a non-Muslim wants to come to the mosque, he's most welcome. Our beloved Prophet, he has discussions 
about concept of God. Time didn't permit me the revelation of Surah Ikhlas, the touchstone, the touchstone of theology, which I gave to everyone, was revealed when? When he was having a discussion with the Christians in the mosque. And they asked him, who is Allah? What can you think? The Quran says you convert all the trees into pens, all the ocean into ink. What will he say, Rahman, Rahim? What answer can he give? The direct revelation came. Kul, tell them. Kul, hu Allahu ahad. Say is Allah wa Allahu samad. Allah, they have said the eternal. Lam milid wa lam yulad. He begets not noise, he begotten. Walam There is nothing like him. Next question from the slip is from Swati S. Malik. She is an engineer. As you mentioned in your talk that Hindus say, sun, moon, snake and monkey is God. Basically, it's not like that. We Hindus don't believe that the above mentioned things are God. But we believe that God is everywhere. God is in each and everything. God is in coat. God is in air, in fire. Does Islam believe the same? If not, then why? What's wrong in this? The question posed was that they believe that the moon, the sun, the tree, they are God, but God is present everywhere. Since God is present everywhere, therefore, we worship it. What does Islam believe? See, the Holy Quran says that wherever you turn your face, you will find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is everywhere. But what does it mean? Are you talking Allah is present physically? When Quran says Allah is everywhere, do you mean it is physical? My question is, what do you mean Allah is everywhere? Is it physical? If physical, if you believe Allah is physical, then you should be able to see it. No, I can see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not physical. The knowledge of Allah is everywhere. The knowledge of Allah is everywhere. Allah has power over all things. But physically, He's not everywhere. Therefore, the Quran gives the logic. In Surah Shura, chapter 42, verse number 11, Laisa kamisli shay. There's nothing unto Him. Nothing like whatever unto Him. So I'm telling you, the moment you worship the sun, do you mean to say God is only there, nowhere else? Or even if I agree with you, okay, you say God is everywhere, sake of argument, I agree with you. But then you're worshipping only a small part of God. The tree, very small in the full universe, speck. That means, indirectly, you're saying well, God is so small, only in the tree, only in the snake. So therefore, if you have to worship, worship the true God Almighty. Even though his knowledge is present everywhere, he is present everywhere, not in the physical form. Hope that answers the question. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Brother Zakir Nayak. My question is regarding the form of Allah. Surah number 39, Zumar, verse 67. The translation says that, and on the day of resurrection, the whole of the earth will be grasped by his hand, and the heavens will be rolled up in his right hand. There is also an hadith in support of this, Sahih al-Bukhari, volume 6, hadith number 336. Can we just imagine some form of Allah? This is a question and Surah Al-Zumur, it says, she's correct, Quran does say that, that on the day of judgment, resurrection, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold all the creation and various verses in the Quran, etc. But if you heard my talk, sister, I gave you the key word. The key, the key to this concept is Surah Ashura, chapter 42, verse number 11, which says, 
And whenever, as I said, if Quran says Allah sees and hears, you oh that means Allah is here like us. He hears. How we hears? Allah Allah. Allah knows. He has a hand, but not like yours and mine, five fingers, with nail and with this. Not like that. He has a hand. Yes, he has a hand. How he has a hand? Wala miya kulla ukufana has. There is nothing like him. How will he do it? Allah Allah. He will do it for sure. Quran says he holds the right hand. He will hold it in the right hand. How we hold it? I don't know. On the day of judgment, inshallah, you and I will witness that. The next question from the slip. Assalamualaikum, brother Zakir. As Muslims, we believe that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is Noor. We cannot attribute any form or gender to Him. Why then, when we speak of Almighty God, or as written in the Holy Quran? Allah is always referred to as He, a sister. The sister has asked a very good question, and this question had troubled me for several years. And she asked the question: Allah is Noor; He has got no gender. So why is it written as Hua, as He? And this question asked to various people, you know, in India and other scholars, but never got a satisfactory reply. Then I myself did a little research, and then I checked it up with the experts. But when I learned Arabic, the grammar. The Arabic grammar has got only two genders, male and female. English language three gender, male, female, neuter. So if we translate "hua" into English, it can be translated as "he" or as "it." Either "he" or "it." Same as "hia." If you translate into English, it can be translated as "she" or "it." That's Arabic language two genders. English language three genders. So "hua," if you translate, you can translate "he" or "it." He as she or it. So, whoa in English, if you say Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is beyond any gender. So why have used he? Some people may say that if whoa means he and it, and hea means she and it, both means it. So why did Allah use whoa and not hea? Because Quran says, "Kul Allah Hu Ahad." Say he is Allah one and only. When I learned in grammar, in Arabic grammar, I was told that in the Arabic grammar, there are certain rules and criteria for feminine gender. Feminine gender. First, if it is feminine in nature, like mother, ummun, it becomes a feminine gender. Second rule, if it ends with the, the, it is feminine gender, like mirwahatun, fan, ending with the, it becomes feminine gender. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is not a female. So it can't be feminine. It is not ending with the. Is it ending with the? No. So can't be feminine. Third is it should end with bala alif. Then becomes feminine. Allah doesn't end with bala alif, so it can't become feminine. And another one is that pairs of the body, twos, like eyes, ainun, feminine, yadun, hands, feminine. Allah is kul hulawad. Say the Allah one and only. It's not pair. So therefore, in defection, in default. Since it can't be used as he or it, that she it, Allah uses 
who are it. Otherwise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has got no gender at all. Assalamu alaikum, brother. My name is Ali Hussain. Now, in your talk, you have mentioned that, and even in your earlier talks, which I have heard, you have mentioned that Jesus in Bible is nowhere claiming divinity. Now, I had gone through a booklet which was propagating Christianity and implying that all the sufferings are uh, healed by Jesus, peace be upon him. And uh, it gave the reference that Jesus is saying, I am the Lord who heals you. And the reference was from Exodus chapter number 15, verse number 26. And even it went further saying that in 1 John chapter number 1, verse number 7, the blood of Jesus, his, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Now my emphasis on the first reference where he's saying that I am the Lord who heals you. Now doesn't this imply or doesn't this indicate that Jesus is claiming divinity? Brother is quoting Exodus chapter number 15. Verse number 26. Verse 26 and saying Jesus said that I healed you. Brother, Exodus is a part of the Old Testament. Old Testament. Jesus Christ never spoke in Exodus. Never. I said in my talk, there is not a single unequivocal statement in the whole Bible where Jesus, peace be upon him, himself says that he is God to worship me. This is the Bible I have got by the Christians, King James Version. Everything what Jesus Christ spoke is in red. You check it up, this will never be in red. It is not the words of Jesus, it is the word of somebody else. And even if I agree with you, for sake of argument, that Jesus did say that he heals. And the Quran does agree with that. And I said in my talk, we believe that he gave life to the dead with God's permission. He healed those born and blind with God's permission. So I've got no objection agreeing that Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, did heal the people. It's our faith, even we believe in it. But whatever he did, as the Bible says in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 12, verse number 28, he cast out devil by the Spirit of God. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 11, verse number 20, with the finger of God he cast out devil. He did everything which bore witness of the Father. So I've got no objection in agreeing that Jesus did do miracle. But regarding Exodus, it's not the word of Jesus Christ, peace be upon him. Even if it is, I've got no objection. Because whatever miracles he did, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said that this is done by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And again, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 24, verse number 24, For there shall arise many false Christ and false prophets. And if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Miracle is not the test. Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, said, it's mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 11, verse number 11, of those that are born of a woman, the greatest person is John the Baptist. Those that are born of a woman, the greatest person is John the Baptist. That means he was greater even than Jesus, peace be upon him, because Jesus was born to Mother Mary. So amongst all born of a woman, the greatest is John the Baptist according to Jesus, peace be upon him. Which miracle did he do? Not a single. Therefore, miracle is not the criteria to make him God. Hope that answers your question. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for making this program possible. On behalf of the Islamic Research Foundation, I thank all our guests, including the press, for attending the program. We also appreciate and thank all the persons involved in the organizing and recording of this event. Jazakumullah khairan.
Oh, mm-hmm.